this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornish. Rob, Robert, what are you uh, taking pictures of? It's my, uh, it's, it's my Kodak. Okay. Because Kodak is the, 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 the birth of all cameras, really, isn't it? Don't you think? It, I mean, it, what best trade name ever? Well, you heard about Kodak when they said they were going to launch a blockchain and their shares went flying, even though as a product offering it was dead. Wow. It makes you think, though, how companies can remain relevant. Like Nokia. Yeah, where did they go? They were leading at one time. Samsung. They are leading today. iPhone, Apple, what's going to happen? But interestingly, Telefonica. Did you know they've got like a, an incubator? An incubator? Yes. Well, for babies? <laughs> They're like, like the neonatal care for, for, for cell phone operators. I think the problem is a lot of the babies will come out looking like you, Robert. I meant the hair. <laughs> I meant the hairstyle. Oh. <laughs> Not the facial features. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very fortunate to have somebody from the Telefonica. We so we've got Daniel Lesnick here. Yes. Dan- Daniel, Hello. do you know what this uh, Telefonica incubator thing's called? I do. It's, a- well, it's actually an accelerator. Accelerator? It's actually an accelerator program. Wow. Uh, and it's called Wira. How do you spell that? Uh, W-A-Y-R-A. So, Daniel, could you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your background? Because, you know, we have a very strong following. I think we nearly have, like, 50 listeners now. It's unbelievable. Oh, come on. No, 16. At 16 least, still. At least 16. Okay. Are, we, are we in double figures? Are we, are we in, are we <laughs> We're beyond double figures. I mean, and I think you'll be a new voice to them. So, you know, give us a bit of background. What, do you, what exactly is it that you do? Sure. Okay. So I basically worked at Life for um, the later part of my teens going into my 20s. And I was straight out of school. Um, started as a runner over there and uh, got my license and then started trading uh, futures. Is that when you lost all your hair when you were doing the... No, I actually had a full head of hair during that period. Um, no, that came later on. That, <laughs> that, that part of that was uh, due to marriage and kids, <laughs> I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I... I, I it wasn't, wasn't called by life. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So I started there and um, I was there pretty much to the very end when it shut uh, in 2000. Is that why they um, do the run for life now? Sorry, that's a really bad joke. Is he bad comedy? Is, uh, is, is a hallmark of this show. Um, <laughs> You've listened to the podcast, obviously. Yes. Yeah, so I was there, and uh, when life shut down, so I sort of found myself meandering, doing travelling and, and the like. And then um, I got actually involved in fund management by a complete accident. Some friends and I bought a business, and then it bought another one, and the value was in the commercial property itself. And uh, we realised that actually we had a bit of a portfolio and that we could grow that into something quite lucrative. We got investment in from uh, one of the larger PE funds in the city uh, and they supported us and then we had an exit to that particular fund. So, so when was it that you first got your uh, your Bitcoin? When was the first ever? When, so when it, was, it, was, it was late It was Late 2013. Late 2013. Yeah, late 2013. So were we talking we around about the $100 yeah, mark? Yeah, well, it was just over $100 at that point. There'd been a bit of a tank and it was just over $100. Before then, and then it and then it rocketed after that. Twenty fourteen, it made a big move up before going back down. <laughs> yeah, I think that was something to do with the Cyprus crisis. I think the, you might be right. Yeah, and the the the, uh, the banking crisis. And that's kind of what that's kind of it appealed as a very exciting market, new market. Mm. I, I didn't really have any understanding as to what it was. I just saw it as another asset class. To be honest with you, another speculative asset class. Yeah, yeah. Got into it in that way, but actually, the the interesting bit is kind of post exit. 
the, the technology itself became quite interesting for me. And so I was able to use the time, the, the sort of newly found time that I had post-exit to meet people, thought leaders, developers, designers within the space itself. I was just meeting a lot of people behind some of the projects, some of the earlier projects, um, and people that were working on some of the more interesting parts of you know network development, really. Mm-hmm. And I started reading a lot as well, and there was a, there was a lot of narrative coming out from some of the tech industry leaders around the use cases and application for the technology itself. Mm-hmm. So finance being an area, or you know, traditional finance, banking being an area that I was interested in because of my background, the technology became something that I could see was very applicable to that particular sector. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realise that healthcare was also, you know, there was a strong use case for healthcare. So, you know, I just started to take a, a very active interest in the space. And how did you get involved in Weira and, you know, Telefonica? And- I was advising a, a startup that was being accelerated by Weira. I guess the goal here for Telefonica is to find businesses, startups, interesting platforms that can streamline and improve Telefonica as a global telecommunications leader and keep them as being positioned as being one of those leaders in the space. And so, yeah, to to come back to the story, I met Gary Stewart, who's the director of Managing Director of Wire in the UK, and he said to me that they were specifically going to launch or looking at launching a blockchain specific accelerator program. And would I be interested in working on that program and supporting it? The exciting point was the, the, the coming together of a global telecommunications business and this, this exciting new technology that I had a personal interest in. And, and you know finding synergies with with the two so so kind of lifting the lid on blockchain because i guess what happens is you you, you talk to people at conferences and mm-hmm. they talk about how blockchain is the future of everything mm-hmm. and then when you actually lift the lid on it there's no real explanation i mean there's people that say blockchain is amazing but can't even explain it mm-hmm. um if we had somebody listen that had no understanding of what blockchain is, and, and no, I'm asking you this, not Robert, mm-hmm. because it, we'll end up with an encyclopedia. If you had to explain to somebody that knows nothing about payments, nothing about blockchain, what blockchain is, what would you say? It's a ledger. That's the simplest way to describe it. Um, I use Lego to, to explain to my children. Like my, my, my daughter, who's seven, can kind of explain to you what the basics of it are. Um, and and we, we did that using Lego. So explain so, to us using Lego. Okay, so you have lots of bricks and they form a chain. And yeah. you can I'm glad add... you brought your Lego with you. He never goes <laughs> yes, anywhere. Yes, so. you, you have lots of bricks that, that, that form a chain and effectively you can add additional bricks onto that chain. Each brick contains information. And you, what you can't do is once that brick is on, you can't alter it. You can add an additional brick to add surplus information, but you can't you can't change that original brick. And the reason you can't change that original brick is because it's basically verified and validated by lots of other bits of Lego chains that are in your house, my house, everyone's house around the world. Back, backing up that data and making sure that it's uh, it, it's secure and it's immutable, as they say. I, I did it on stage once using conference brochures. I just went and grabbed everyone's conference brochure from the front line and then laid them out on the stage. 
what to explain blockchain or yeah, just, just exactly. for the hell of it well just for the hell of <laughs> it, anyway. hell of it. But, I can imagine you doing a belly dive across the stage at the end of it yeah yeah obviously but that was to prove <laughs> what what would happen if there was a DOS attack on the blockchain on the blockchain yeah <laughs> love it now, now looking at your Twitter profile um, yeah. and, and I'm assuming this doesn't refer to me and Robert but here's an interesting thing it says you say anyone with blockchain in their profile is an and I quote an absolute helmet <laughs> Does this make you popular at blockchain meetups? Well, actually, that was said. That was actually a response to something that I'd said. So I, I basically that's that's a uh, that's the one of my profile images. Okay. And I took I used that because that was a reply to something that I'd said. So you, someone replied. So somebody replied. Quote, yeah. yeah, and I used because it's the first thing in my profile. So I found it quite amusing. So I screenshotted it and used it and, and have kept it as my. And my profile. How, how would you describe someone that puts in their Twitter handle the word sir, as in a knight of the realm? I mean, are they knighted? No. Right, okay. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> just saying, it's, it's a... I, presumably that's sir, because you've chosen... Under, underscore resh. Yeah, I mean, right, okay, okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a play on words, I, I guess you could argue. Well... I mean, I think he's referring to you as the helmet, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you got Lex sticks here. <laughs> so we've got something called the bin of confusion. Okay. We have random things that can pop out. It right. can be anything. Okay. Robert, why don't you dive in? Okay, let, let me go in. Is crypto finally an investment asset? I mean, you clearly saw it as an investment asset all those years ago, but... Would you define it as an investment asset in, in today's age? Um, hmm. I think I think there's definitely an argument for it being an investment asset. I think there's a lot of instability with regards to traditional markets. I think with the way that, for example, the dollar um, and the instability, the level of debt attached to it, the US as a country... Um, and it being the world reserve, I think it would be a reasonably good idea to have a bit of money in Bitcoin, perhaps, and precious metals as a hedge against some of that currency. Currencies with hyperinflation start using Bitcoin, don't they? As a hedge against their own currency. You're referring to China, I presume, yeah? Well, some Recently. South American countries before that. I think China's are probably a better example because mm -hmm. recently China inflate uh, having a, a, a manipulating its own currency yeah. in order to Change address this trade yeah issues, address yeah. the issues with with uh, the US and that had a positive effect on Bitcoin's price when they did that so you know I'm presuming that there was a an influx of money that yeah. had migrated across the South American country I'm not sure they had that much of an impact on Bitcoin's price because I'm not sure on mass there's enough um, there's enough pouring in to make that difference. I think I think there's definitely a case for China. So I think it would be. I think it's. I think it's probably good practice to have some part of your investment portfolio mm -hmm. in something like Bitcoin and precious metals. Outside of that, I would probably stay clear. If, if so you investment, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go main, into a Ripple or a Ether. Or a, I just. A I mean, I no, probably not. I would. I mean, and are you still holding any? any oh yeah, yeah, I've still, yeah. I mean, I've still got some some legacy Bitcoin. I think it was that. I'm just trying to think back. Actually, it was probably. It, I think when I bought my when I actually bought my Bitcoin, it was probably twenty. It was probably twenty thirteen. I think when I, when I first had exposure to Bitcoin, actually, it was probably twenty thirteen. And I so, think I bought I bought a further position in twenty fourteen, 
held through 2015 and then picked up again in 2016. Did you release any when they close, got close to twenty thousand? Yeah, time? so well, I, I kind of I so I'd actually played I'd played some of the crypto markets and I had Ethereum, made some some good money on Ethereum and, and made a good Ripple play as well. Um, all throughout that sort of big explosion bubble that took place twenty seventeen, um, I did scale down from my Bitcoin holding um, in twenty seventeen. I didn't exit at twenty. What was your okay. thir- what was your thought process? I didn't think you'd in, get that high. In, in like two thousand and fourteen, you said mm-hmm. right. Twenty thirteen was the when I first actually. So when you first did that, what was you know because, I mean, you could buy two pizzas with what you could probably buy, yeah. you know. So when you actually bought that, what made you think, this is going to go to the heights? It's going to. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think that. I just. Thought it was quite an interesting. You just saw the volatility. I, just, I, just, I didn't even see the volatility. Someone had told. I'd, I'd actually. Someone had told me about it at dinner. And I thought well, that's quite interesting. You probably like, owe them a dinner now. Probably do. Yeah. And I. I, I it, the interesting thing was it was all on a. I had a. I had a paper wallet. I had a, a, Q, a QR code wallet. Oh really? Well, yeah, I had one the paper. Yeah, I, I didn't have. No, it was a printed. Oh yeah, printed, printed paper. Code, yeah, yeah, printed paper wallet. So I didn't actually have. Uh, you know now you now you now got hardware wallets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which store? But Storage, yeah, yeah, but I never had that before. I had um, had a paper wallet, but that, so yeah. What, what did I think at the time? Not a lot. I just bought it because I thought it was interesting, just speculative and interesting. Yeah, there was no real rhyme or reason behind it. To be honest with you, I was kind of looking for interesting things. And are you the type of person into. that you try to research it right till the end and then say, you know what, I'm going to get this, or just bought it and then got into it. No, that was quite, that was very much on a whim at right. the time. Um, nowadays, I'm more of a mature. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a mature investor. So, um, but yeah, no, that, that that was, it was purely on a whim. It was just, let's chuck a bit of money into this. Sounds quite interesting. Sounds like it could be quite fun. So I'm, I'm gonna dive, dive back into the bin of confusion okay. now. And, um... So apparently on Twitter you you, you described a, a tweet as uninformed, elitist, and moronic. Can you remember which one it was? God no. no. Must be no, pretty much everything you yeah, see. Yeah, I've used it to, to I probably use something along those sort of lines on a weekly basis. Is there a lot of stuff on Twitter that is uninformed, moronic? I mean, crypto in itself is quite tribal mm-hmm. so you know people align themselves with projects and coins and kind of wear them as if they're sort of fighting some sort of a cause the, the amusing thing is it used people always call out the ripple army and that's what they're called and you know various but actually the ones that seem to be the most Vocal. ill-informed oh ill-informed yeah. and insane yeah are the are, are actually the bitcoin maximalists extremists yeah, because I mean, it's dreams. just uh, some of the bullshit that they come out with is incredible. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. you can say what you like. So, so he's got the... a bleeper that will oh, come yeah, okay. on and it'll explode in your mouth. Right, okay. <laughs> thinking about his weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he okay. always manages to tone it down. Yeah. Oh no, take the conversation. <laughs> that's, why he's good to go, uh, that's why he's good to go out with on a night out. <laughs> um, Yes, the, the the Bitcoin maximists tend to talk a lot of rubbish, and you know if you if you some of them as some of the shit they come out with is incredible, and yeah, that was I, I'm guessing that was 
probably what? something what, what, ridiculous. What's the weirdest thing you, you've heard recently that some idiots put up online? Well, actually, there's a, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter called Pierre Rochard. But, I mean, he just, he just came out with a lot of shit. It was like, oh, you know, Iran... If it were, because there was this, this suggestion that Iran was accumulating, or citizens in Iran were accumulating Bitcoin. It's like, oh, you know, if, if Iran accumulates enough Bitcoin, they'll become the most powerful nation on earth. <laughs> just, you know, just stuff like that. And then I think there was a couple of shooting, mass shootings in the US. And he was, I think he was suggesting, or somebody else was suggesting, another one of the, the idiot crew was suggesting that actually, if the shooter had been given access to Bitcoin a couple of years ago, probably wouldn't have fallen down and had this moment where he decided that he would shoot everyone. Oh, so Bitcoin would stop... Would stop mass stop shootings. mass shootings in America? Well, apparently Bitcoin wow. would, it would stop mass shootings. It would stop uh, obesity. Obesity? Uh, and especially child obesity, apparently. Um, oh, wow. That's brilliant. It would, I've got it a chance. Sh- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, buy Bitcoin. You, you buy are. Bitcoin. Because apparently, no, Forget diet. Because the new suggestion is there's something called fiat foods. Have you heard this one? No. So this is the new maxi uh, take. There's something called fiat foods, and it's, it's foods that are um, fundamentally supported by the use of fiat. Uh, and I say fiat, what, traditional currency. Food you can buy in the supermarket. Yeah, so things, like, so things like high high sh- high corn sucrose, what they high fructose, fructose yes. sugars, and corn syrup. All the ba- all the bad yeah. basically that's supposed to be terrible for you yeah. is all it's available uh, with fiat currency. It's all available oh no, because God. the businesses that support it are based on. It's just it, every I, business is based on fiat currency. You're looking at me like <laughs> I have the answers to this madness. I don't have the answers to this madness. The really scary thing about this is that there is these are the these are considered the thought leaders. Oh my God! In the space, and that that's the worrying thing. So talking about these crypto tribes, mm. yeah. Let's talk about. Libra. Mm. So what's the, the, the Libra tribe, Facebook. the one that's going yeah. out there yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about is, Libra? Is there a Libra tribe yet? I don't think there's a Libra tribe yet. I mean, most of crypto Twitter, as it's known, would, would probably, are probably anti... They're probably anti-Libra. Because they're probably anti-Facebook and anti-Libra and all the rest of it. So what's your take on Libra? What's like, your, uh, you know, as a, as a veteran in the space, what's your take on it? I think it will, ha- it will definitely happen. Yeah. I think it will definitely happen. Um, I think we'll have a lot of hoops to jump through, but I think it will definitely happen. Um, Any flaws in the model? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you've got to be a Facebook user to use it. I mean, <laughs> pretty that's, fundamental. That's a pretty big flaw. Um, They've got quite a lot. They've got a few already. Yeah, but not everyone in the world is on Facebook. You've got to trust the network. There's no validation. So uh, of, that of, that is a major concern I have. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 not a typical blockchain which has each node which then verifies each block. Mm. This is uh, almost. A, a centralized blockchain. It is what it is. It's fully. It's a fully centralized. And that's that. That is kind of that defeats the purpose. Defeats the purpose of, which is of the blockchain. consortium of companies that that verify every single block. Right. Mm. Um, and if you haven't got that, where is your? Where is your? I mean, you can have the transparency, but without you, you can't have the um, unimpeachability of the, the of the block mm. because. If it's all centralised, then technically the person running the centralised block can manipulate the block, I'm guessing. I'm sure they're putting stuff in there to stop it, but it's still not the same as a, a, a permissioned block that you you have to go through a, a particular test to get it no, and you have to I do think, the algorithm. No, stuff. exactly. I think, I, think, so I think that's a massive problem. As I said, you've got to be a Facebook user in order to gain access to it. 
And your personal opinion, do you think... You've got to hand over your data to Facebook. This is, yeah, that's always problems. a worry. I mean, data and Facebook are going hand in glove like uh, yeah. Data Breach Anonymous. So, the, I mean, this is the interesting bit because, I mean, I, I've actually, since the announcement, I've spoken to some, some interesting people um, in my personal network to better understand what their thoughts are and, you know, why, why have Facebook done this? And, I've, you know, I've heard, obviously, give banking back to the people, create borderless payments, all the rest of it. I mean, you know, that's... That's fluff. No, I don't believe any of that to be the, the main um, motivation behind it. Um, what is the main motivation? Data. Data. Grand Big data, data or granular, granular data? Granular, granular, access to granular data. And what about the consortium? Why would people want to be in that consortium and throw 10 million each to be part of that consortium? Because I think they want access to data. They want access to the data that's going to be So part, part of your paying in your 10 million mm. gives you some sort of buy, access. It's a buy-in. It's You're a, buying it's a buy into in. data. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think they'll acquire data from it, individual <coughs> user data from it, and what they'll get access to will be more granular than they are able to access under their current methodologies. But the data that Facebook will actually own will be even deeper. It will be even why deeper. do you think the consortium? There's, there's no banks in that consortium. Mm. There's a couple of schemes: Visa and Mastercard. Visa and Mastercard are in there. Yeah. No banks. You know, they'll, they'll all say they're all just technology plays as opposed to, you know, any of the big ones. Well, no banks at all. Mm. Well, I mean, does there need, I think it's, it's more of a question, does there need to be a bank? I mean, the, you know, I mean, I was having this chat with Robert earlier about, you know, banks allowing for crypto. We, we were having this exact discussion. And I think, that, you know, Robert asked me, why, why do you think that the banks have got involved in allowing for, for crypto, you know, usage or, or platform interaction on, on their own? My, my answer to that was, well, what's the need? Why would they need to? You know, what, what's the point? Is that the matrix? That's the partnership That's matrix, the, um... isn't it? <laughs> That's the partnership matrix. But again, from what I understand, a lot of these partnerships that they put up here are not actually fully signed, fully up. signed up partnerships as yet. They just... They just put them Allowing on. to have their logo yeah, displayed. Because they've, they've, they're, there's initial agreements. Right. They in sign place. their heads yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, let, let's see how far down the line a lot of these actually go. I mean, from PayPal's point of view, it makes perfect sense because I think PayPal probably needs to have some sort of interaction with something like this in order to, to continue to stay relevant. And Do you think Facebook's kind of plan is to, is to create an ecosystem where it stays within the system? So you're, you're, as a merchant, you're accepting Libra, you're paying your suppliers via Libra. Do you think that's what the ultimate plan is? No. I, I, no, I don't. You just think it's about A to B? I think so, yeah. Okay. I think it's pretty straightforward from their point of view. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. I don't think there's any need to complicate it at all. Okay. Um, it's just acquisition harvesting of, of very, very grand. I mean, you, if you think about it, how, how powerful. So you're, 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 a, you're a Facebook user, Suresh, let's take as an example. And, you know, you use your Libra to purchase something. So let's say you buy, I saw Farfetch is one of the partners mm-hmm. that they put on there. So you, you buy a shirt on Farfetch um, and it's a 16 inch collar, for example, and it's a blue shirt. They know your shirt yeah, size. Your style. Yeah, yeah. You're, you have a, yeah, yeah, they can also then, they, they know who you are. They can identify you by your pictures. They can tell that you're not uh, a white male. You know, all of this, and, and then they can see through your pictures if you're married if you have children. So they can start to build a profile, a very granular profile as to 
who the man who bought a blue shirt from Dolce & Gabbana with a 16-inch collar shirt, uh, 16-inch neck. Mm. Yeah, um, he doesn't know Dolce & Gabbana. Well, I'm surprised <laughs> he's wearing a blue shirt today, to be honest. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, look, you know, you understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Get, uh, Primark is, uh, <laughs> is, is shop of choice. <laughs> look, we're being, we're being jovial about it, but I mean, that that's... No, I that, it, it's quite It's quite scary, actually, if you think about it, that's, that one entity should have that much information mm. about you. And, you know, most people sign up to the T's and C's at, when onboarding and probably won't even read them because I mean I, I don't often read you know T's and C's well you're not going to read 18 stuff. pages well that's what I mean yeah. it will be buried in what you know jargon that most people won't understand and amongst 20 pages and people are just desperate to on board so, so Daniel what's the most bizarre blockchain project you've ever heard of and you've probably heard some weird ones gosh I don't know um I can't. so the most the Bizarre, I don't know, bizarre is the right word. I, I actually, I had a, I, had, I got blocked for this actually on Twitter. Um, somebody got with a, blocked on yeah, Twitter. I get blocked. <laughs> I actually get blocked by quite a lot. Pierre Rochard blocked me. Um, <laughs> but somebody on Twitter was promoting a car detailing crypto payment system or payment platform, and the idea, which had an attached ICO, of course. Yeah, of course. And the idea, and I, I remember, yeah, I mean, Suresh is sort of sinking his head here and shaking it. Um, the idea, apparently, when I questioned this, was that there is a large car detailing enthusiast base in Southern California, mm-hmm. and therefore this is the justification for creating a car detailing Coin. Uh, coin, yes. That they would want to use for that their you, car so you dealing. Would, yeah, so you would, if you detailing, so if you yeah. wanted to get your car um, detailed, pimped, pimped or, um, you know, even, I, I suppose basic detailing is like just getting the swirl. Jack up the swirl, wheels. The well, no, I think it's more to like the swirl marks being removed. I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a car detailing at oh, every so car level. car detailing is more like repaired than pimping. I think it's repaired, so I think it's, it's things like, um, what is car, so it's like getting your car mat, matted, Oh, right. paintwork yeah, so matted you, you, and that sort of stuff yeah or you can get graphics put on it and stuff like that that sort of stuff the windows tinted I think that's also considered car detailing so do they do it on skateboards as well because that's Suresh's <laughs> uh, main form of transport I thought it was scooters scooters, scooters yeah, scooters, yeah. Scooters, so. Um, so yes that was one of the more I suppose use, use of a better term ridiculous ideas um, but what do you think of these ones that just use use a blockchain but actually have just documenting something and using the blockchain to give it kudos. So I remember the diamond one, I don't know whether that's still going. Do you remember this where they basically they were testing diamonds and they were doing all the photography of the diamond and all the things and, and registering all the diamonds. Mm. But then what they were doing was that was a central register and then basically they were taking a link to the central register to put it on a blockchain, which was a, 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 a spur off of the Bitcoin blockchain mm. to actually say that that diamond was registered at this date and then they passed it on but was it presumably it was it was detailing the, the clarity of the diamond the quality of the diamond yeah and making well. sure it's not a blood diamond all, all, all those yeah. things so it was basically giving you the that's not actually that's not actually a bad use case in all honesty I mean so the blockchain bit was literally uh, in the olden olden days when you, when you when you came up with an idea what you had to do was write the idea on a piece mm. of paper post it to yourself in a sealed envelope and then you'd have it. That was your proof. That was your proof. You'd give it to your lawyer and they'd put it in the safe. 
And in some ways, that is one of the use cases for blockchain. It, it creates an immutable record mm. of well, that. It's a registry, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it, you know, to a degree, it's, it's one of its... Digital registry. Yeah, it's one of its most, I guess, obvious use cases. That it can be act, act as a digital registry. So actually, storing the, the origin and source of diamonds and the clarity of each individual diamond that's sold, you know, it's not a bad use, it's not a bad example for it, to be perfectly honest with you. When you were linking that story to the car, I actually thought from a car history perspective mm. to know how many knocks it's had when it's been served. Well, that's different. When, that's Because yeah, from yeah. an insurance point, I mean, if you're an insurer... And you, you know that that's actually not a bad. Yeah. Again, it's not a bad access point to but have not that the graphics information. And the tinting yeah, not that. not. Well, the idea was that you would go. There would be certain dealers that it, it, across something. I presume anywhere. I'm trying to give you a rationale for this nonsense, but I, I I'm trying to understand what the 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 mo was for this. But it was along that I gather it was along the lines of there are a number of car detailing workshops around Southern California, and the idea was to get as many of them to sign up to accept this particular token. In exchange for services uh, rendered on your vehicle, and did it raise but the money? Did it? Probably not. I mean, God, I, if it did, I'd like to know the name. I'd pay for the name of every single person that signed up for it because I'm sure there's some sort of money making scam you could attach <laughs> to those people, like for they sure. Buy anything. Yeah, like because they would literally buy anything. Like, I'm sure I could buy their house from them at like a reduced rate, and convince them it was a good sale. So, <laughs> yeah, probably. So, so Daniel, I, I recall you having a conversation and I overheard it mm. and you were talking about, you know, we were talking about the millennials, you were talking about mm. baby boomers mm. and you referred to something as the lost generation. Yeah. Because I believe we belong to the lost generation as well. Yeah, we're, we're kind of Gen Xers. Yeah. Except so, me, obviously, I'm a baby boomer. Well, you're a okay. boomer, you, yeah, you're a boomer. So we're, we're, the gen, we're Gen Xers and we kind well, of... Well, you're retired, Robert. Okay. Okay. My Zimmer frame is outside. Next. You've got, I mean, look. To be honest with you, it it just it. I was just always very interested. So I asked someone on Twitter because I often see, especially in crypto, a lot of the time, um, boomers are referred to very negatively um, because they're the ones that seem to be in control of all of the money as far as crypto Twitter is concerned. It's like all the banks are all run by boomers, so they're the ones that are the the, the you know the, the behind the scenes. The, the evil overlords controlling currency, etc. It's good um, character judgment of Robert. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. I mean, so there's that. It's but accurate. It's accurate. I, and I, well, I was trying to better understand. So how how are these? And I know obviously I, I kind of have an I, I had an understanding of what millennials were. It's quite it's quite self-explanatory. But um, I was just trying to understand you know the, the terms that are attached to each generation and what those date ranges are. So yeah, we are the we're the Gen Xers and we're, apparently we're the lost generation. So we're the the generation in between the boomers and um, whatever followed, I can't remember. But we're the Gen ones. Gen Y, maybe. I can't remember. I'll put up. I remember I had a chart. I, I pulled up a chart for for Suresh and when we had this discussion. We're the ones that didn't have the opportunity that the generations either side of us had in terms of innovation. Was it like there were, you said there was no major? There was no major innovation. Yeah, there was no major innovation. So what what are the dates that, that you pull up there? So it seems so boomers are forty six to sixty four, Gen X is sixty five to eighty, which we fall into. Just <laughs> uh, just want to add that in. Uh, millennials are eighty one to ninety six. So I still think that's questionable. I'm, I, Why yeah. are they millennials? That's what 96. I mean. I think it's because they is that grew, maybe they grew up. In they the grew up. They were, you know, they, were age. they were at an age where they were able to interact with the yeah. developments. What came after came. millennials, though? A Gen Z. 
And what's that? Is that kids today? That's 97 to 2012 birthday. So they're probably just kind of coming into... And after 2012, nothing? Nothing at the moment. Well, I think I think that's that's now Gen Gen Y, isn't it? I think. Is it? I think, I, I think so. Weird. I weird. The one that I had actually, I mean, this is this is a good one. I'll try and find the one that I had before we we wrap up, which was which was um, the one that I was showing to Suresh because it was a lot more granular than that. There was a lot more information on there. It was broken down way more. You broke down what mm. was invented in each generation. Yes. For Robert, us. they invented the car. <laughs> well actually that, that, that horse you know, and car it, it, wheel yeah, wheel I mean, was invented in my lifetime exactly it's kind of, it's kind of you know it's kind of attached so you know there are th- th- these these particular pieces of innovation are attached to you know generations and they Bill are. did invent the credit card oh okay so when the, when the first card came out was in my area in baby boomers so in 1950 uh, Frank McNamara Went out to a restaurant and uh, left his card. Uh, left his card. He didn't have a card at the time. Left his money behind uh, and left his business card as a means to do that. And that was what started this whole movement into cards uh, from paper money beforehand and checks. I mean, the Americans love their paper checks, uh, mm. but uh, we saw the advent of all the cards following on from that, and that's where credit cards, debit cards, and the whole card scenario came from. And diners being the first. Going to say. Presumably that's why the, why it was called Diners Club. Because yeah, because yeah, he was dining, yeah. and, he, and and they, they they agreed to allow him to use the card. And you've been working with investors and in private equity. Do, do you really think they understand blockchain, or do you throw all these words and they're like, yeah, this is the future? There are. I mean, there are. Look, there's some base, there, there are some very specific funds that are looking at projects um, in in this space, uh, and they're very good, um, and they you know they totally get it, and you know. Traditional funds are then they're probably not looking at this space just yet. There's still certainly in the UK. I'm talking about. It's, I think in the US, it's a, they're a lot more welcoming to um, you know specific uh, investment opportunities in the space. But in the UK, the, the funds that are investing in to these kind of platforms, they tend to be very sector specific or very you know strategy specific. So they'll only invest in blockchain or or Web three. Right. You know projects. Um, so yeah, you like to have your ear to the ground for what's happening, like new innovation, companies that are going to be the future tomorrow. And I know that you've worked with quite a few of these ones that many of our audience haven't heard of because they haven't even launched. Are there any companies that you want to mention to say, keep an eye on this one, guys, because this is going to be something very different? There's a couple of really good projects that I know that we're working with one. On so we're working with one, which is which is Zumo, which is I think is a phenomenal project. Um, it's it's a crypto wallet that also allows for, I guess, borderless payments for use of a better term. Um, we'll have a debit card attached to it to allow convert instant conversion from of crypto to fiat to allow for payments at, at checkout. What's interesting, really interesting about that project is there is actually a, a, a an SDK as a B two B solution. So the, the idea is that they'll eventually, in an ideal world, be checkouts attached to websites, for example, and alongside a PayPal button and a, you know, a click your debit card button, there'll also be a Zumo pay button. You'll click on that and you'll be able to buy goods. And then again, there'll be a conversion process that instantly gives the merchant fiat um, you know, after the, the crypto has been effectively exchanged. 
And and the reason that I like that is because it's number one, it's tokenless. It doesn't require a token. Some of the other projects that have tried to do something similar to that have all had a, a token, you know, which they've argued is a, to act as a means of settlement, etc. But for me, it doesn't work. And the other reason I like it is because in its simplest form, it's allowing you to use crypto, which is okay. really, you know, if we argue the case that since Bitcoin's inception, what can you actually do with it? Well, I can send you some, some Bitcoin, you can send me some Bitcoin, and we can agree that it has a, a certain value to it based on, on, on the market. But, you know, I can't go into a shop and use it. Can't, you know, can't buy goods with it online en masse. So this, this solves that problem. So I think that's, you know, that's good. Cause it so if, I, if, I, if you took your wallet out, what mm. kind of fintech cards would you have? Like, who do you bank with? Who, you know, who's your... I mean, I keep it quite simple. I banked in NatWest for years. Um, you haven't been kind of thinking, I need to join some of the channels? Well, I have got, I have, I've actually got a Monzo yeah. um, account, which I use when I go abroad. Okay. Um, it's quite useful for that. Um, and then I have my Amex, which I've always had, which is the charge card, not, not the credit card. I have a Barclay card, credit card, and, and that's it. I keep it quite simple. Do you use any of the sort of technology like the payment rings or, or like would, would you would you look at wearables as a as something? For me, things like that have kind of got to make me look at them, look at the products and go, wow, that's going to make a massive difference for my life. Otherwise, why break you know, my mm. habit of lifetime and just pull a card out? Um, so, no, I haven't. I mean, I, I still don't actually keep, you know, use a payment method on my phone. There are a lot of people touching in and out of the, the tube to with their iPhones and stuff to actually get on, you know, get on, get on the mm-hmm. tube. I don't even do that. I just pull out my card. I've always done that. I don't see it. It's quicker. <laughs> well, I just don't, yeah, I mean, I don't have to open an app. I mean, they do, to be honest with you, they do open though for you when you get near something. I think now they've, they've, they've introduced this system where it can recognise when it's in close proximity to terminal. Uh, a terminal and it will open the app automatically on your mm-hmm. home screen and allow you to tap in. So I don't know if it's necessarily quicker, but it's just, it's just habit. It's habitual, isn't it? I just, that's, you know, so wearables, I think, from my point of view, is way down the line. So, Daniel, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Great and, pleasure uh, to see you. Yeah. And great good luck you. in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Fun. High five. Fintech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and TuneIn. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five-star rating.